1 Peter chapter 1. We will begin reading in verse 13 and we will read to verse 21. When you got it, say so. And it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as, you, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God, we thank you so much for your word. That is truth. We thank you because you liberate us, God. You bought us by the precious, precious blood of Jesus. And we thank you because we acknowledge, Lord, that we are your children because of that blood. So Holy Spirit, we surrender to you right now. We ask you to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our minds. Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal yourself, reveal the truth unto us, Lord, that we may leave this place encouraged, empowered, equipped to continue on forward in our progress as your sons and daughters. God, I thank you for every person that made it to this house today. And I pray that you would give each of us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church we surrender our hearts, our agenda unto you. May you be glorified in these next few moments, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Our God is a good, merciful, loving God. Amen? There's nothing like his presence. Hallelujah. We've been dealing with the book of First Peter, and we have been talking about the hope that we should have. We've dealt with a few different things. We've talked about God foreknowing us, and we dealt with those, those topics. And today, we have a lot of ground to carry, or, or to cover, should I say, and going over these scriptures. There's a lot in here, and so I want to get to the point. But what you will find is, in verse 13, you see that the apostle Peter, he begins to use a word, and that word is hope. He says that we are to rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 21 it's almost like that's the top part of the sandwich the bottom part of the sandwich is is in the in the end here in verse 21 and it says who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God hope is an essential part of our Christian life amen if you don't have hope listen you will sit up in your room and do nothing if you don't have hope, you don't want to get up in the morning. You don't have hope, you don't have a reason to do anything. When you don't have hope, I mean, if you ain't got a job and you lose hope looking for a job, guess what you will do? Stop looking for a job. Hello. 
If you don't have hope, then you are, you, you are, you are not going to be able to function as you should. If you don't have hope, and, and if there is no hope in your life, then there's an issue. And, and, what, and, and what is amazing about our God is that he sends his son to die in our place so that way we can have a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. Say a living hope. You see, us having hope is not as important as the foundation or the source of that hope. Because we can have hope in a bunch of stuff that can fail us. We can have f- hope in people who will let us down. We, we need to get this. No matter how perfect someone is, no matter how great someone is, they are going to let you down. And that's just the bottom line. No matter how strong a company is, that company can go on ahead and experience collapse and you will have no job. And so it is very, very important for you and I not to uh, place our hope in other things but that primarily our hope will be in Jesus so that way when those other things fall apart or when those other things fail us we do not lose hope because our hope remains in the one who is living and will never stop living and will always be the one who grants us what we need which is the expectation of his grace throughout our life. When we go through things, today we celebrate um, September 11th, and we or we or we commemorate, should I say? Because I don't think that anybody is really celebrating, you know, the, the attacks upon our nation. But we do commemorate what occurred. We do commemorate what happened, and you know, those you know, 10 years ago. And there were people who had hope in certain stuff. There were folks that thought those buildings were never going to fall down. There were people who were sure they were coming home that day. There were people who were sure, or there were children who were sure mommy and daddy were going to pick them up that day. And they didn't. Does that change who God is? No. Does that change the hope that we're supposed to have? No. It, le- it lets us understand that there are things in our life that, we will, that, that will cause us to have to make a choice. Will I continue to hope in Jesus? Will I continue to hope in God even though everything else is failing, everything else is falling apart, even though the things that shouldn't have been shaken, the things that shouldn't be moving, the things that should be permanent, those things are tumbling before my face. The question is, will I put my hope in Jesus or will I say oh man God is not going to help me out here God is not with me in this situation just because it looks bad that's the choice that we're faced with and the apostle Peter comes here and he does a great job of encouraging us in our hope and so what I want you to realize is that um, Paul I mean Peter said earlier in this chapter he talked about us being born again to a living hope and so when our hope is in Christ our hope is alive our hope does not disappoint because Jesus doesn't disappoint Our hope doesn't disappoint. Our hope doesn't deplete because he continues to fill us with hope. He gives us scripture so we can memorize and meditate on who God is and what God's word declares and what God's will is for our life. When we look at this word, when we look at the word hope by definition, in our understanding when you say the word hope, I hope for something, what you are saying is that there is something or a positive connotation to what you are communicating. You're saying something positive. But when you look up the word hope in the Greek, 
Greek, the word in the Greek, the word hope, it doesn't have a negative or positive attribute. It is subject. The subject of hope is what determines the attitude of that hope. And so what happens is when you look up this word, this word doesn't mean something good or something bad. It is simply an expectation that you have. As a matter of fact, when you look at the definition, it starts off the definition of hope with a negative thing. And it says the expectation of evil. And that would be fear. And so in the Greek, sometimes the word here for hope is translated into the word fear. And so some of us, that's how we live our lives. Some of us, we are constantly in fear. We are afraid they're going to shut the lights off. Hello, somebody. They are afraid we're not going to be able to pay the light. We're, you know, we're, we're afraid we're not going to be able to deal with circumstances. We're afraid. We're fearful. We know that when I see so-and-so, I'm going to experience something negative. That's how we live our lives. That's not how we're supposed to live our lives. But that's how many of us, many of us are crippled by these fears, these negative hopes that we have in our life. The positive side of hope is it is a hope or an expectation of good. And that's what we want to understand. In the Christian sense, this is continuing in this definition, the word L piece is the, is the word. It means joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. It means hope, hope in or having hope. The author of hope, who is Jesus, who is the foundation of our hope it is the thing that is hoped for and so for us as Christians God wants us to have a living hope that is within us that no matter what we face no matter how difficult no matter how dark no matter how tough a situation or a circumstances or a circumstance may become that we are still illuminated by the hope that is within us that we can say from the depth of our hearts, even if this situation does not turn out the way that I want it to, the way that I, I, I really desire it to be like this, even if it doesn't turn out like that, I will continue to walk in a hope that is beyond my circumstance, that is beyond this world, that is beyond anything that I've ever known, because that hope does not fade away, but that hope begins to burn brighter the closer I get to eternity listen I know that we have situations and I know that we have circumstances and we go through difficulty and in the last um two messages ago we dealt with that how Peter talks about though we're tried with these fiery trials during the here and the now and I understand that we go through stuff and here's here's the thing that I want to tell you I cannot promise you that every situation and every circumstance that you are in is going to turn out positively but I can promise you that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that it's going to feel good at the end. That means it is going to be right at the end. What do I mean by that? If you walk with him, you're going to be right at the end. That's what I mean. You're going to look more like Jesus at the end. You're going to look more like him, think more like him, talk more like him. And so I wish I could get up here and say, listen, you just need to just, you know, just know that everything's going to be all right. I'd be lying to you. Because I have to tell you the honest truth, some of you, you are going to be disappointed at the end of some of your tests and some of your trials with the outcome. But you know what you won't be disappointed with? Jesus. You won't be disappointed with him if you really love him. You won't be disappointed with him if you really care about him, if he really is the center, if he really is the focus, if he, Ill, if he really is the hope that is within you. And now, let me say this as well, because some of you are like, well, Bishop, you're giving me no hope in my situation. I'm not telling you that. You need to trust God with all of your heart and soul. 
You need to trust him with everything that is within you that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. You need to believe that. That's what the Bible says. And so we walk in a hope that God is going to work things out and do things the way that he's called us to. The title of the message today is Living in Hope. That's what we have to do, church. We have to be a people who are living in hope. Not a people who hear about hope. Not a people who are told about hope. But a people who are living in hope. When I'm living in hope, there are certain characteristics. There are certain things that occur in my life. The first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Living in hope isn't a passive attitude, but an aggressive, intentional mindset. Living in hope is not just being passive and just like, oh, everything is going to be all right and everything. That's not, that, that, that is not living in hope. What the Apostle Peter says here is he talks to us. Look at verse 13, please. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is important for us that we look at that word, therefore, we need to like underline that, highlight it. And what I'm going to tell you, therefore, is therefore is a New Testament equivalent to the, to the book of Psalms. Whenever you read the book of Psalms, I don't know about you, but when I first started reading the Bible, I noticed that in some Psalms, there was a place where there was, there was a word that was like out of place. It didn't fit in the paragraph. And I would read a paragraph. And then to the right, it was this word S-E-L-A-H, and it's like Salah. And you know, some people that get up and read the Bible, and they read, and then they say Salah, and then they go through there. And what Salah means is simple. It says this. It means pause. Meditate on what you just read. Meditate, and it's not about meditating on what you just read. Meditate on the one who it's talking about. Meditate on the one who is, who, who is being communicated about. Meditate upon the attribute of the Almighty God. And so what happens is, in the New Testament, when we see this word, therefore, it's like a salah. It's, it, what he's saying is, go back, read everything you just read, and then let's move on. Because what he is saying is, he's saying, I want to remind you, therefore, in light of everything that you just learned, we talked about the scripture and the power of the word of God. We talked about God and our, and the genuineness of our faith being more important than precious gold. We talked, God spoke about all of these things. And what he's saying is, therefore, in light of all of this truth that you have, in light of all of these things, in light of the fact that you are elect, in light of the fact that you are being sanctified, in light of the fact that you were foreknown by God, in light of the fact, all of these, in light of all of those facts, get your mind right. That's what Peter says here. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I'm going to give you the Old Testament, or, or not the Old Testament, I'm going to give you the definition of where this, this concept comes from, and then I'm going to give you a present-day picture of what we're talking about. But in those days, you know, men back in those days, people in general, they wore robes. They didn't wear, like, jeans, pants, you know, stuff like that. And so whenever it was time to work, whenever it was time to, you know, run or fight or something like that, what they had to do was they had to get their robe up, and they had to make sure that it was not going to hinder them from running. And so that was what it was talking about, to gird up your loins. It was to tighten that stuff up so that way your movement was not hindered the new testament picture or, or the present day picture that i will give you of this you know them boys and i'm gonna call them boys because they are not men you know them boys that run around with their pants falling down okay when they are ready to run right they're gonna race someone you want to know what the first thing they do they grab their pants and they start pulling them up right they holding every what are they? they're girding themselves up because they gotta run hello because if they don't pull them pants up whatever uh-huh 
And then they're not going to be able to run. Then they're going to blame their parents. I don't understand why they wear belts. They have belt. I, I actually see folk with it. It's like they got a butt. It's a butt belt. It's not, it's not a belt for your waist. It's for your butt. So what the, I'm just saying, I'm not, I don't even get that. Just don't wear the belt. Hello. I got to tighten up enough so it stays right mid-butt crack, right? I mean, seriously. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is that's the picture is that you're going to be hindered in moving forward. You're going to be hindered in forward progress. And so what you have to do is you got to gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, get your mind right. Being, putting your hope in Jesus, putting your hope in the future, it is not something that just passively happens. You, you, you don't just like, you know, walk through this life. You come and you say a prayer to Jesus, and then you like, Lord, come into my life, and then passively walk through life, never pick up your Bible, barely ever pray, don't participate in worship. Hello, somebody. That, that, that is not girding your mind. This says, gird up the loins of your mind. And when I was looking at that, the word loins like stuck out to me. And I understood because I, I, was, I was like, man, gird up the loins of your mind. And when you look at the word loins, that word loin, that, that's where the reproductive system is supposed to be in the male. And so, you know, you see someone, they talk about, you know, I was holding you in my loins. What they were saying is that, look, you were, you were up in here, glory to God. You know, you tell your sons, your daughters, that's what he said. And so when I saw that, I understood something. Your mind, the mental faculty is very vital to you and I being fruitful. And what happens to us is we walk around with our mind like the pants hanging down off of somebody's butt. Hello. We walk around with our thoughts all like dragging around like a robe on the ground. And we're trying to live life and yet we're tripping and stumbling all over all kind of irresponsible thinking. This is where we talk about garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, you put garbage in and you're continuously bombarding your mind with ungodliness. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be tripping a whole lot. You'll be falling all over the place. And, and, and I'm not solely talking about media because that's one way. I mean, come on, let's just use some common sense. I don't have to get legalistic on you. There's some things you shouldn't be watching. Hello. There's some things you shouldn't be listening to. Bottom line. There's some music, and yeah, even I love music. Hello, somebody. Most of it is just full of lust. Anyway, he ain't talking to his wife. She ain't talking to her husband. She's talking to her boo. Hello, somebody. Come on, man. Talking about Linda. They don't even know what love is. They are clueless as to what real love is. But you want to listen to them so you can cry along with them, right? Because you're depressed, so you need help being more depressed. Oh, glory to God. Get your mind right. But I'm not just talking about that media stuff. What about conversations you have with people? What about who you are talking to? What about who you are allowing to speak into your life at those difficult moments? What about that? Because one person is going to come into your life and they are going to, man, they, they may challenge you roughly. They may be in your face and be like, yo, you need to tighten up. The way you're thinking is totally unbiblical, totally ungodly. And then, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get around some other, and they got upset with me in covenant couples, but I'll use this word anyway. You're going to get around some other idiot. Right? They were just upset because of the context. It wasn't because I said the word idiot. They weren't, it wasn't like that. 
You get around some other person who don't love Jesus or they say they love Jesus, but they don't think anything like him. Because I love those. Those are the best. Those are the best to talk to. They love Jesus. They go to church with you or without you, whatever the case is. And you talk to them and it's like everything you're saying. They're like, man, I I totally understand. And you know, you're right. Just go ahead and act that way. Totally opposed to the word of God. Totally opposite to scripture. And we want to listen to that stuff. Why? Because it justifies us. Instead of having someone in my face and say, hey, man, you, 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 you may feel good, but I don't care how you feel. There's going to be a whole lot of people feeling good until they stand before the judgment seat. Let me say that again. There will be a whole lot of folk feeling good until they stand before the judgment seat. They are going to live this life feeling great. They are going to have more peace than you and I will ever have in this world. They are going to have more happiness than you and I will ever have in this world. And when they go before God, all of that will fade away because they did not honor him as God. They worship creation rather than creator. And therefore, they will suffer in hell for all of eternity. And so for you as a Christian... My question to you is, why would you listen to someone who is on their way to an eternity like that? Oh, Bishop, we're not supposed to be judgmental. Listen to me. If someone is not living a life like that, my Bible gives me the right to know the difference between a sheep and a goat. What I am saying is, I don't know what your eternal destination is, but if you died today, if you drop dead at this moment, yeah, you would go to hell. That's a tough thing to tell someone, isn't it? But you need to think about who's speaking into your life. Because, yeah, I can shut the TV off. I cannot go on the internet place I shouldn't be at. I cannot go to certain movies. I can, you know, not listen to, you know, certain radio stations. I can make sure I throw away all my old stuff, you know, my before Jesus, you know, type music. I can do all of that stuff and still allow ungodly people to speak into my life. And what happens is my mind begins to align with ungodly thinking. And before you know it, my thoughts are all over the place. And here's what happens at the end of it all is that I am incapable of being fruitful because of what? Because I have allowed my mind to be irresponsible. My dad said something to me years and years ago, and he quoted it was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said, a tree cannot know what bird will land in its branches, but it does not have to let the bird nest. A tree cannot determine who is going to, what bird is going to land in the, in, in the branches. And obviously a tree in the natural world, it's just going to sit there, branches, bird's going to nest, do what it wants to do. But you as a person, if your mind is like a tree, a place where thoughts are coming and bombarding, you don't know what thoughts are going to come. You don't know what things are going to come your way in certain circumstances. You don't know what's going to happen because sometimes we don't even realize what is going on inside of us until we start going through difficulty and we start thinking things we haven't thought in years. We start, we start contemplating ways that we haven't thought of in a long time. And we have a choice. I will either let that nest in my brain or I will rebuke it and replace it with godly thoughts. This is what Peter is saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. And then the second thing that he says, he says, and be sober. Now, this is not just saying don't be drunk with alcohol. That's not what it, it's saying that and that's all up in there. But that's not the end of it. Because some people say, well, I don't drink, so that doesn't apply to me. Listen to me. We get drunk off of other stuff. Like we get power trips 
That's just being drunk on power. Hello. That's the bottom line. We get drunk, and you know, you're not going to hear this stuff, but you get drunk on emotion. You get hurt. You get offended. You get drunk on that. You start thinking about the pain, the offender, the person, the situation. You continue to run it over and over. And how could they? And they said they loved me. And they said and they did. And all of this stuff just begins to bombard your mind. And you know what you end up doing? You don't act in a sober manner. You act in a drunken manner because you are emotionally driven. And so what, Paul, what Peter is saying is he's saying, listen, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Get your mind right and focus. Don't let yourself, listen, before you make decisions, listen, Christian folk, you need to get this. I mean, if there's something that I need you to understand above anything else, man, don't be making decisions. You call yourself a Christian, don't be making decisions before you know God is with you. Don't, listen to me, don't just assume, well, God's with me because, you know, what. No. You know how many Christians, they, if they would just take time to pray, if they would just take time to pray, take time to really seek God, and if God doesn't speak to you, then don't make the decision. Don't make the decision. If God is not, if he, don't, don't give me this, well, I feel peace. I don't care what you feel. Of course you feel peace. It's a horrible situation. Who wants to continue to go through hell? Hello, somebody. Glory to God. Who, who, who would not feel peace knowing tomorrow I never have to deal with that job again and I'm going to get another job and it's going to be all good? Who would, I mean, I mean let, let's just be real about it. Who would not feel peace with that? I know I would. I'd feel great. I love y'all and I love my job. Glory to God. I'm not saying I'm, you know, get it twisted. But if I was in a job that I hated and a place that I hated to be, Another job opportunity comes and, and, and opens up, man, I'm going to love to do that. And I can tell you, I'll give you, my, I'll give you my own personal testimony. One time, I used to work for Benny Hinn Ministry. They used to do security there, and I worked overnight. And a friend of mine that was going to the church that we were going to, he was a supervisor in a particular company. And as, as a supervisor, he came to me and said, hey, Jason, man, I can help you out. I can get you a job over here. You can come and you can work and everything's going to be all good. And I was like, all right, cool, man. You know, that'll be fine. And so I went to my supervisor, who was a wise man of God, and he said to me, I told him, I said, listen, man, I'm going to go ahead and quit, man, because, you know, I can't do these nights and doing days over there. And he's like, listen, Jason. I said, I'm just going to tell you this. If I were you, I wouldn't quit. Just stay on one day just in case things don't work out over here. And I was like, you know, because right, I felt peace. I'm like, man, I'm going to work from, you know, 9 to 5. I'm going to be able to be home at night. And, you know, I felt lots of peace. Hello, somebody. <laughs> right? Just I'm telling you like it was. And so he told me this, and at first I was hesitant about it, but then I was like, you know what? He's a wise guy, man, you know? Not a wise guy bad, right? He's a, he's a, he's a wise man, right? He's got some wisdom that he's offering me. I sat there. I, went, I, t I took this other job. I started working this job. Long story short, the people in that workplace didn't particularly like my supervisor. Therefore, they didn't like me either. No matter how well I worked, no matter how quiet I was, I was just directly connected with him in some way, shape, or form. And so, you know, you have to make 90 days in a place, right? And, and if, they, if they fire you before 90 days, they can let you go without a reason. Well, let's just say I didn't make it the 90 days. And if I wouldn't have listened to this person, I would have not had a job, and I would have been in a bad situation. 
And so what I'm saying is, as a Christian, man, you need to hear God. And, and, and when you're not hearing him and he's not speaking to you, listen to the wise counselors he has surrounded you with, not the foolish ones. Be sober. Be awake. Be attuned to his voice. Hear what he is communicating and walk with him. And if he doesn't tell you to walk, stand. Be still and know that he is God. Amen? He says the next thing in the verse, in verse 13, he says, and rest. I love that. He says to gird up, your, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, to do what? To rest. And it may, it's like it almost makes no sense. What he's saying is rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that word rest, it means to rest, to fix, or to set our hope fully on the grace of God that is coming, the grace of God that is approaching us. And so when we talk about our hope and we talk about our rest and our peace and all of these things, it is found where? It is found in Christ. But you are not ever, and hear what I, hear when I say this, you cannot and will never fully rest in Christ and in his grace if you are not proactive in your preparation. What do you mean? Well, you need to be ready before trials. You know what we are as Christians most of the time? Reactive. We are reactive. We, 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 especially, and you know what, almost, almost the worst time for Christians is the time of peace. I, I hate to say this, but almost the worst time for Christians is when there's no problems. When there's no issues, when all the money's right, when everything is good. Why? Because we don't know how to act. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. We don't know how to act. We forget to memorize scripture. We forget to meditate on the word of God. We forget how vitally important being an intimate relationship with our heavenly father is. And so we neglect those things. We'd be like, I don't need to go to church so much. Listen, you're going through a trial. You coming to church. You calling, talking about, can we have an extra day of prayer? Listen. You going through difficulty, you want to be in church seven days a week at 5 a.m. praying and crying out to God for your breakthrough. This is real. You go through difficulty, that's what happens to us. We go through hardship, that's what we begin to do. Things get easy, we, st we forget stuff. And then you know what happens? Then all hell breaks loose and we are reactive. We're not prepared. We're over here scraping and, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this? How am I? And, we, and, we, and, and it's like we almost forgot we were a Christian. We almost forgot where our hope lies. And so the worst time for us sometimes is during those areas. But can I tell you something? If you're in a moment of peace, I can guarantee you, hell is going to break loose at some point. Let me encourage you that way. That's my encouragement for you today. <laughs> Enjoy the peace, but prepare for the hell. Hallelujah. Enjoy the peace. Enjoy this, this, this wonderful season. But let me tell you this. You need to be sure that you realize, and I say this to people, especially folks that are, that are just coming out of rough seasons of their life, and then they're, they're experiencing the reaping of that last season. What I, what I tell them is, here's what you need to understand, is that while you were going through this stuff, you were sowing this, and so now you are reaping this negativity. But you need to get that you are in this season sowing for this next season, and so it is important that you sow correctly. Can I tell you the same thing for the season? 
season you're in right now, make sure you are sowing correctly for the next season. Make sure you enjoy the presence of God, not because you have to be there, but because you just want to be there. Make sure you are meditating upon the word of God, not because you need to find a scripture to give you peace, but because you have peace in the midst of this moment and you just want God. Take that time. Embrace that time. Because when you come up to this next season, when you come up to this next thing that, that will happen in your life, and I don't know what it is, you're like, Bishop, man, that's so gloomy and doomy. Listen, it is just the truth. We are going to go through hardships. We are going to go through. And I don't, listen, I don't care how faithful you are. As a matter of fact, the more faithful you are, this is another way of encouragement. The more faithful you are, expect the trial to be even harder. Be encouraged. There is hope in Jesus. Okay? We, we can't be reactive, church. We can't be. We have to be proactive. And listen, you can't. I, I want you to know this. You, me, we can never know what that next test is going to be. God, God, God is always like just pop quiz. Just, you know, you just come to class, be like, oh, wow, what happened? Right? Pull up to your job one day and chains on the doors. Be like, whoa, pop quiz. <laughs> but did someone move and I didn't know about it? Oh, yeah. Did this, did this kind of stuff that happens. You never know, but you know what you can do? You can just be prepared. You can be fortified. So that way when that happens, you know the answer. Jesus. <laughs> right? And you'll be able to walk through what you're going through. But if it ain't like that, if, you're not, if your hope is not firmly fixed in him, if you're, if, if, you're, if you're not girding your mind, if you're not being sober in your decision making, if you're, if you're not doing that stuff, you're going to come into that next hardship. You're going to come into that next difficulty. And, and, and here's the thing. And God is merciful because in this, this is the beauty of our God, is that this grace put our, put our hope fully in the grace that is to be revealed, the end, the, the, the ultimate salvation that we're going to experience. That's what he's talking about to us. But here's the beauty is that while we are walking with Christ, while we are walking with him toward eternity and glory, you know what we get to do? We get to experience grace here and now we get to experience some of that grace not all of it but we get to experience some of that grace here and now we get to be encouraged by testimonies and situations that God does I never forget when my wife and I we, we've been through some stuff um in our marriage, you know, things have happened financially. I think I've told you all this testimony before, and I'll be really brief with it and quick. But I remember one time my wife, she worked with a particular job. She absolutely hated this job, okay? I mean, she hated it after, like, the last the last year. She was just couldn't bear it anymore. And so, you know, we discussed a plan for it. You know, we planned everything was good to go. And um, my wife left, and she, you know, her last check there, you know, she worked on commissions. And so her last check there, you know, was like $9,000 or something like that. And so obviously that's supposed to hold us for a couple of months right we're going to be all right you know we're like look we'll pay these bills up front everything's going to be great and so we send out like nine thousand dollars worth of bills hallelujah <laughs> she checks the bank account like on monday this is a friday she checks the bank account on like monday we're like at negative 100 
She's like, wait a second, what, what just happened here? What, what, what just, you know, we, I, I, that shouldn't be negative anything. And so, long story short, what happened was, you know, because direct deposit, this is the only negative thing with direct deposit, they have a certain amount of time that they can say, hey, I want that money back. And so when my wife gave in her resignation on Friday, after they put the money in the bank, they decided we're going to pull that money out. And so they were just trying to be grimy, and that was just how it was. So that was the test that we were facing. And so what ended up happening was we were in the, one of the most difficult moments. I mean, God knows that was crazy. And so, by God's grace and mercy, here, here's the beauty of this. By his grace, we had, my wife had money in her retirement that was saved up in there. And so, you know what we were able to do? And people would be like, but that's not God's grace. Oh, yes, it was. Who provided that money? God Almighty. Amen? So we were able to go through. My mother-in-law, my brother-in-law, he was, he was a kid back then. He was bringing food. We would come home. There would just be like bags of groceries. Yeah, that was your brother-in-law. I know that. That was God's grace. That was your mother-in-law. That was God's grace because we don't get any glory for stuff like that. God is the one that is moving upon our hearts. God is the one that is touching us and look here, whatever the case may be. And so ultimately in that situation, we were able, and you know what? Every time, and, and I say this to encourage you, just to realize you got to recognize who's the one that provides. Every time that we pull money out of that account, you want to know what we used to do? We used to take 10% and be like, here you go. We're giving 10% of that and that's the bottom line. Why do, why do I say that? Because what happens to us, we go through hardship, we go through difficult and we get these breakthroughs and we don't even think about saying thank you God let me let me put it to you like this we had already tithed that money we had already given from that money because we know we're those type of folk that we do our stuff based on the gross amount of our income all of that retirement stuff is gross amount of money all of that money was already you know tithed on so I was good to go but you know what we didn't want to be unfaithful like that because we realized that he was doing this. And I, and I will tell you something. There have been other trials, other situations, other difficulties that have happened in our life. And you know what we've experienced? We've experienced the ability to put our hope in Jesus and to see his grace see us through the situation. Every situation hasn't turned out the way that we wanted it to. I mean, be realistic. Do you think that you want to drain all of your retirement? Nobody wants to do that. But I'd rather drain my retirement and have the retirement there to drain than to live in a box. Hello, somebody. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Living in hope is directly reflected in all of our conduct. Read verses 14 and 17 with me. And he says this. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And so the apostle echoes Peter. Or Peter echoes the Apostle Paul. You remember one of my favorite verses is in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And the Apostle Paul communicates there. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And Peter here says, do not conform to your former lust. The same word of conformity. Don't be formed. Don't be molded after. Don't become like this world is what Paul says. And then Peter, writing a few years later, I doubt that he read the book that, that, that Paul wrote 
wrote to the Romans. But what he says here is he says, don't conform to your former lust. So that encourages us to understand something. There are two things that we are naturally prone to conform to. Number one, when we lose hope, this is what happens. We will either want to conform to the pattern of this world, meaning that when I lose hope and I don't have an answer and I'm not hearing what I want to hear from the pulpit or I'm not hearing what I want to hear from my Christian brothers and sisters, I will then look to a secular advice and I will begin to conform my thinking to the pattern of this world. Or what I will do is, because I'm a know-it-all, I will go back to what? What I used to do. I will go back to how I used to be. I will deal with it the way I used to deal with stuff. And Peter says, do not conform to your former lust. Do not conform to the way that you used to be. Don't go back to that way of thinking. Don't go back to those feelings, those desires, as in your ignorance. Each of us that is sitting in here, if you know Jesus, you were ignorant of your moral condition before a holy God. You were ignorant to the power of the gospel and the responsibilities that the gospel comes with. We were ignorant to those things. We were living our life. We were doing what we wanted to do. We thought everything was okay, even if we had a certain form of godliness. And yet we were ignorant is what Peter says. He said, don't go back to the way that you used to be when you were ignorant. Don't go back to acting like you used to before you met Jesus. Don't go back to acting the way that you saw someone else acting. Don't be like that. Live with a different focus. Live with a different hope. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. Is that what it says there? See, here's the thing with us Christians. We want to be holy in some conduct. In other words, we want to obey those things that we can obey. The Bible says not to lie. Well, you know what? I hate liars. I'm not going to lie. Right? That's, that, 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 that's how we are. Unless we're put in a situation that it's either we lie or we deal with the consequences. And then we have a choice. And then we'll be holy in some of our conduct, not all of our conduct. We pick scriptures. We decide, well, this is what I'll obey. This one over here, listen, the, let, me, let me tell you the worst place for you or me as a Christian to be. To be at the place where I know that I am openly defying God's word and I feel like it's okay. God forgives. Did you hear what I just said? That is the worst place for you, for me, as a Christian to be. To feel like, well, you know what? I'm going to disobey what the Bible says. You know, I, I obey like 90% of it, right? So you think. I obey most of it. I obey most of what it, what, what it communicates. I obey most of that stuff. But you know what? Just in this area, man, God understands. No, he doesn't. If he understood, he wouldn't have made it clear what he expected. Let me say it again. If he understood, he wouldn't make it clear what he expected. He makes clear what he expects because he doesn't understand. He sent his son because he understood that by yourself, you wouldn't be able to obey. 
He sent his spirit because he knew that on your own strength, you wouldn't be able to obey. But that's all he understands. He understands the human frailty. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our inabilities. He understands all of those things. But he does not understand when you openly defy what he says I want you to do. He doesn't. There are consequences to those things. And is he still merciful? Absolutely. Is he still gracious? Absolutely. I had the most horrible conversation with someone earlier in the week, and they were sitting there, and I was telling them about their sin, and I was very blunt and very bold. This was a Christian. This was not a non-Christian. This was a person who, 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 who prides themselves on wanting to know more of the Bible, who prides themselves on wanting to be holy, who pride, they pride themselves. That's the problem. They pride themselves. They discuss, they, 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 all of those things, communicating these things. And they, and, and they made it very abundantly clear. Well, God forgives me. Hold on a second. So you're telling me that you pride yourself in your study of the word and your desire to know God. And yet you're cool with disobeying him blatantly on the simple stuff? On the simple stuff. We can't just decide we're going to be holy in some of our conduct. The Bible calls us to be holy. How about if God was only holy with you in some of his conduct? How would that be? He was only holy with you in certain areas. He was only holy with you on certain things. That would be horrible. But he is holy in everything that he does. And so he calls us to live like he lives. He calls us to do those things. In verse 14, he says, as obedient children, he assumes our relational position. And really the way that it should be translated is it should say as children of obedience. Because when you, when I bow my knee to Jesus and I humble myself before him as Savior, the automatic response is obedience. From that moment on, I begin to obey him. That's how you know you really met him. I was having a conversation with my cousin and my sister, and we, we, were, we were talking about um, relationships and, you know, this and that. And, you know, and, and, you know my cousin, she's not a Christian. I love her dearly. Um, but, you know, the, one of the first things out of her mouth is, you know, I just, I, I don't believe in marriage. You know, I'm not going to get married. married. Marriage is not important. And I said, really? I said, if you ever plan on being right with Jesus and having sex at the same time, marriage is vitally important. Listen, marriage doesn't matter if you're going to be celibate all your life. Hello? Marriage doesn't. It, it, it matters nothing. But you want to have babies and, you know, not through artificial insemination. You know what I'm saying? If you want to do it that way, you can go ahead and do that. You're good to go. You want to just do it that way, that's all right. I don't encourage that, but you wouldn't be sinning. We, we're, 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 we're talking about relationship. We're talking about how, you know, these things. And, 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 and I'm telling my sister, because, you know, I'm encouraging my sister. I'm like, listen, you need a man who loves Jesus more than you. That's what you need. Because if he loves Jesus more than you, he'll love you like you deserve to be loved. That's the bottom line. If he doesn't love Jesus more than he loves you, then you will have issues. Because he'll get tired of you, he'll get over you, you at some point you're going to get old, hello. You're not going to be cute all your life. Stuff will start sagging, hello. Things start changing proportionally in your body. You ain't always so cute. And then you start looking like, man, hmm, right? I mean, I'm just saying, gravity has its way. I mean, that's just a, that's a law, Right? So, 
At the end, at the end of the day, you want to you want to ensure because you know there, there's obviously some folks you know they you know they they love their wives you know I mean I'm not saying that you can't love your wife and get the but my point is this they really want a substantially good relationship I'm going to tell you where you're going to find it in a man who loves God because God will change his heart does that mean imperfection will will be there of course it will but you know here's here's the thing and this 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 is the thing for us Christians we love to wave that white flag of I'm imperfect. Just, you know, you just got to get over that, right? Here's, here's the issue. We can't be waving that flag. We need to walk in repentance. We need to walk with repentant hearts. Our imperfections are not our excuses. They are our call to humble ourselves before Almighty God, asking him for forgiveness, asking him for grace to do what? To obey. It is not to say, well, I'm imperfect. That's right. So that means you should be praying more. That means you should be fasting. I know fasting. Y'all don't even hear about fasting. You should be fasting means not eating anything for a long period of time, only drinking water. Y'all about to pass out right now. I know. (laughs) Listen, Bishop, I can't have coffee. No. No coffee, no juice, no anything. Fasting. Humble yourself before God. Why? Because you're going to make God move? No, because you become more like him. Because you demonstrate. What is fasting about? Is it, does it make you? Listen, here's, here's what you got to get. Fasting is about you, about me, humbling myself before God, acknowledging the error of my ways, acknowledging how desperately I need his grace. And it is me saying, God, I need you to change me. That's what you're saying. When you see these people that are fasting like Nineveh, when they started fasting, why did they start fasting? Because God proclaimed, uh, he proclaimed that there was going to be destruction in that city. And those people were like, hold on a second, we need, we, we need to repent before God. They had everyone fasting, kids fasting, animals. Everybody was on a fast. Because what? They're like, God, change us. Have mercy on us. And God had mercy. He did. Not to say that every time you fast, because then you think, okay, I do something bad, I fast, God is going to fix it. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Fasting is not a quick fix to anything. And it's not a way of diet either. Hello. Mm-hmm. I'm just fasting because I need to lose 50 pounds. That's the wrong thing. Hello. But we need to humble ourselves. In that conversation, talking with these girls, that you know, that my, my cousin, you know, because she's she's pretty bright, and um, you know, at the end of it, she's like, yeah, but and then she gave me an example of someone, and to spare them embarrassment, I won't say anything. And she was like, yeah, well, what about this one? He's found Jesus like twenty times, and he ain't found Jesus once. I know this person personally, so I, you know, I, I know I'm like, he ain't found Jesus yet. And I used Paul Washer's, you know, great, I, I love this analogy. He's, you know, he, give, he gives the analogy. He says, man, he said, if I came into this place late, and Pastor Chad, he used this one as well. If I came into this place late and, you know, you asked me, listen, why are you late? And I said, man, you'll never believe what happened to me. I was driving on my way here. My car, you know, my tire popped. And so I had to get out of the car, had to take the tire off. As I was taking the tire off, my, all the lug nuts fell into the road. They fell into the road. I, when I ran out on the road to grab the lug nuts, there was a log truck that was coming in my direction. I got run over by a log truck, got back, you know, finally got the tire back on the car, made it here. He said, you would look at me and tell me that I was a liar. Because there is no way that I could have got hit by a log truck and be walking and telling you about it. There's no way. I want you to know it is even greater with Jesus. 
There is no way that the glorious Mack truck of heaven is going to encounter your life and you are not going to be radically changed. Period. Listen, I don't care, and understand my heart, I don't care how many tears you cry or don't cry. Tears are not what count here. What I'm talking about, when you walk away from that encounter, have you been transformed? Have you been totally overtaken by the glory and power of heaven? Because anybody who meets Jesus, that's how it is. Hear me. You meet him, it is life-altering. It changes you. Changes you. As I told her, I said, this person that you're talking about, I said, they haven't met Jesus. I said, they've been to drug programs that talk about Jesus. They've been to churches where they've heard Jesus preach. They've even read Bibles. I gave them like 50 messages that I preached and, and had a bunch of Jesus inside of them. But that person may have proclaimed Jesus. They never met him. And I don't say that. And, and listen, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you flat out. I'm not one of those people that believes you can't backslide and you can't lose your salvation. I believe you can. I, there, there are people that I have seen that in what I see in them, if I say, okay, if they're living this life, I see the fruit in their life, and then I see them totally back away from God. What I'm telling you is this person never saw any fruit in this person's life. Never saw any kind of devotion to Jesus. I saw them talk a lot about him. There was a difference. And so I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when you meet him, when you meet him, you will be changed and transformed. There will be evidence of that encounter. Amen? Amen. The last thing that we'll say, or that I'll say on this point, is if we are children of God, look what he says here. He says, and if you, in verse 17, look what he says. He said, and if you call on the Father, I love that word call, because that word call, it, it, it means to put a name upon or to surname. It means to permit someone's, uh, permit oneself to be surnamed or to be named after someone. And so what he's saying is, he says, if you have made this relational commitment to to him because when I call upon God as father I'm talking to him like he's my daddy for real when you and I become Christian we are now entering into a relationship with the father and what happens is I remember I was watching a, a, an episode of Little House on the Prairie and one of the children he's adopted and and and, then, and 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 in this particular episode, the child was struggling because they had to do a family lineage thing. And so when he had to do this family lineage deal, he was like, man, how, how am I going to do a family lineage? I'm adopted. I don't even know who my parents are. And, you know, back then it ain't like now. You can just go, you know, Ancestry.com and, f you know, figure everything out. It wasn't like that back then. And so you got to know your lineage by what? Conversation with mom and dad. They have a book that showed you this was great, 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 great grandpa. This is where we came from and all of this type stuff. And so he didn't have those things. And so the whole issue was in, in, in the episode with the kid is the kid said, Dad, why haven't you given me your last name? That's what the whole issue was. Because by him giving him his last name changed his whole lineage. By him giving him his last name, it changed who my ancestors are. That's what it does. Well, in, in, in the spiritual and what happens when God comes into my life, here's what happens. My last name is changed. I am his now. I am his son. You are his daughter. And so now we are able to come to him as father. And he says, if you call upon him as father, who, who without partiality, partiality judges according to each one's work. Now, pause for a moment. Because he says, if you call upon him as father and you know that he loves you and you know that you're in right relationship with him, you still need to recognize something. He's still a judge. 
You need to recognize something. You don't get comfortable with him because he's daddy, because he still remains judge. He still remains just. He still remains holy. And he has to, has to. If he is a just God, you got to get this about justice. If God is a just God, then anyone who is not repentant of sin will suffer the consequences. Did you hear that? Anyone who breaks, when I say sin, I'm talking about when anyone breaks the laws of God. That is what sin is. When you break the law. Here's the thing. You and I break the law, most of us that drive, those of us that don't drive, we, we, we may not break the law yet in this sense. But for us that drive, most of us broke the law on the way to church today. What do you mean, Bishop? You know what I mean? That's why y'all laughing, because you were like, man. Right? You drive in down the road, and whether it's intentional, unintentional, the Bible talks about sins of omission, sins of commission, right? So, <laughs> intentional, unintentional, whatever the case may be. Most of us drove down the same roads, and we know the speed limit on those roads, so it's, we do know. But this is what happens to us. We've driven down those roads so many times above the speed limit and haven't gotten pulled over, we become comfortable until one day we get the blue light special. And then we are suddenly awakened out of our days. As we are driving down the road and we're doing 40 and a 25, like, oh, my goodness. Police officer pulls us over and is like, what is your issue? Was, was I speeding? Uh-huh. Yes. Let me help remind you of that. See, here's the thing. We break the laws in our society and we don't get caught because they didn't see us. Right? Unless they put up those doggone cameras. Hallelujah. That we all love so much. Right? Then you start, when you, when you look at those cameras, then you really get to understand a little bit of God's omniscience, you know, and, and how he is everywhere at all time. Because you get, a, you get a thing in the mail saying, you did this, and they show you a picture. Click, click. I'm like, oh, my goodness. How did that happen? Three times. How did that happen three times? I don't even get that. I'm like, I, I'm, like I, I, I'm, I'm consciously trying to act right after the first one. I'm like, y'all are kidding me here, man. Anyway, the point of the matter is, God sees everything, and he is just. He can't just close his eyes and be like, oh, they didn't sin. They're not dishonoring me. They're not. He, he can't do this. He can't say, okay, they came to an altar. They said a prayer. And now for the rest of their days on earth, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm not going to look at anything they do. That isn't what God does. God is always searching our hearts. God is always looking at us, not because he wants to punish us, but because he wants to reward us. Oh, you got to get that. See, he, when, when, when he is judging impartially, he's saying, look, I, want, I have put good in you. You repented. You bowed because, before me. I put good in you. What God is looking for is the good in you to come out of you. Not that he's up there trying to beat you with a stick. It's not what he wants to do. But the fact of the matter is he judges both ways. He judges in condemnation. And he judges also in recognition of what you have done right. And so it is important for us to acknowledge this because he goes on to say he judges without partiality. Therefore, during your stay here in the earth, whether that stay is long or short, whether you live for 10 years or 50 years, 80 years or 100 years, however long your stay is here in the earth, you should do it in fear. 
You should do it with reverence. And so what we do is we revel in his goodness. We revel in his sacrifice. We revel in all that he has done for us. We revel in the fact that we are not worthy. And yet he dies in our place. So that way we can do what? So that way we can be called sons and daughters. We get a name change. We now have divine blood flowing through our lives. And now we are filled with the spirit of God. We can rejoice in that. But at the same time, don't just think, well, all these things are good, but I'm going to live how I want to live. Listen, if you're living how you want to live, you're in danger of judgment and you need to repent of your sin today. If you are living how you want to live, openly defying and disobeying the word of God, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God wants to deliver you from the sin and the penalty of it. That's what he says in his word. The third thing that I'll say, and I'm getting ready to close, is this. Living in hope, please repeat this after me. Living in hope is only possible because of Jesus. Verse 18, it says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. As Christians, we have been redeemed. Say redeemed. We have been redeemed. That word redeemed, it means that we have been ransomed. There was a price that was paid for us. God paid a price for our salvation. And what did he ransom us from? He ransomed us. He redeemed us. He bought us out of our, our condemnation. He bought us out of the wrath that was to come. But he also bought us out of and delivered us from the slavery to sin that we were all bound in. Every one of us that is in this place, we were bound to a slavery to sin. We were bound in slavery. And what do you mean by slavery to sin? Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, anyone who commits sin is a slave. Anyone who commits sin is a slave. So if you committed sin, you've been a slave to sin. Now, as a Christian, you are working through some things. As a Christian, you're overcoming some things. But, but, but why are you able to overcome those things? Because of what Jesus did. Because of the ransom that was paid. Because of the price that he paid. Because he died in your place. Because he shed his blood in your place. So we are able to overcome sin. He goes on and he says we were delivered, as, we, we were delivered from our aimless conduct. That word aimless, it means futile, devoid of, de devoid of force or truth, devoid of success. And so we were living in an aimless manner. Our life was going in a direction that had no good destination to it. Our life was going in a direction that was not bringing God glory, was not bringing God honor. And how do we learn to live like this? Two things. One way, we inherited. The second way, we learned it. The first way, we inherited it. Every one of us, we are born into a sinful state. We are born as sinners. All of us, because of Adam and Eve falling, we are all born into sin. 100%. Every one of us that is in this place, born into sin. And so we inherit this sin nature. But then, he says, the aimless conduct that you learn by tradition that you receive by tradition. And automatically, when we read the word tradition, in our minds, we start thinking about church, right? We start thinking about traditions in church, you know, the way that we did church or whatever the case is. Listen, there are traditions. It really means to be handed down from fathers to sons. That's what that word tradition means. 
It's a way of living. There's certain traditions that we get handed down, certain ways of being that get handed down from generation to generation. And he says that Jesus Christ delivered you. He bought you out of that way of living. He bought you out of that way of thinking. There's generational examples that we get, generational things that we see. When I look back at my life, I, you know, and I was looking at, you know, I was, as I was meditating on this message, and I was thinking about the grace of God. When I look at the generations before me, I find that it's a sad situation, but my, you know, my grandfather, he was definitely not a faithful man. I love my grandfather to death. He was like my dad, and he practically raised me, and so I mean no disrespect. You know, he died, he died a long time ago, but my grandfather, you know what he, you know what my grandfather was? My grandfather was a functioning addict. He was a functioning alcoholic. He used to wake up at 530 in the morning. You know what he used to walk out the door with? His breakfast was a tall boy. He used to work construction, go out there. He was a supervisor, work all day long out there. He would come home, and you know what he walked in the door with? A 12-pack. As years progressed, it would be a 24-pack because him and my uncle would split it. They used to sit there. They would do the, this was their routine. They would sit there. He would go. You know, they would roll up some marijuana. Hello. Sit down, smoke his stuff. And I used to watch him every night, sit in front of the TV, pass out. I was even clueless how my grandfather got up at 5.30 every day. Because he didn't have an alarm clock. He would fall asleep sitting in a chair. And I saw this every day of my life. My, my, my uncle, see, I didn't see this part. My grandfather was, I, I didn't even know, because my grandfather and my grandmother, they, like, separated when I was young. And I didn't even know my grandfather had a girlfriend until one day I called him on the phone with her. And I was like, man, he's talking to a girl. And I know that ain't grandma. And so, but I, but I didn't realize that. But my grandfather, you know, he was, he was that way. My uncle's different. I saw my uncles in their youthful years, and they were always womanizing. They had all kind of different women. One of my uncles, he has, this is, he's on his fifth marriage. I give him credit because he's at least trying. Hello. Nonetheless, five marriages. My other uncle, this is like marriage number three or something like that. The generational traditions I learned was, man, this is what you do. You go to work every day, you work hard, but you come home, get blasted. You sleep with all kind of women, and you do all kind of stuff. That was a generational tradition that I learned. That was what was passed down to me. The saddest thing, and, and, and I tell you this with all sincerity of heart, my father, he is incarcerated. I love my dad passionately. I love him to death. I love having, you know, great debates. I think I've told some of you, you know, we talk because he's a Christian now, and he's, you know, he's a, he's, he is a Calvinist, and he says he's not. But anyway, you know, he, him, him and I go back and forth, and we have conversation, and we, you know, we dialogue about Scripture and debate about Scripture and get heated about Scripture and, you know, encourage each other with Scripture. And so we go through all of this. And my dad, I love him dearly, but you want to know something? And this is something that I want you to get because some of you don't realize the grace of God in your life by you not having a dad in your life while you were growing up. But I want to tell you something. I realized when I was meditating on this, and this was the biggest thing for me, it was the greatest epiphany because a lot of times you see this as being a weakness in your life, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me as a kid. Because when I was growing up, my mom, even though she wasn't a Christian, even though she didn't go to church, she sheltered me in a really good way. And so I never spent the night at people's houses. I was respectful, all of this different type of stuff. And that's the way that I was. This is how, this is how I was raised. I didn't do anything. My mom didn't want me to be crazy like she was and like everyone else was in my family. She didn't want me to be like that. And so she did everything she could do to preserve my innocence. Great, you know, great job that she did. 
And so nonetheless, I met my dad when I was like 15 years old. And I'm going to tell you something. Within a year of me meeting my father, and it wasn't because he told me to do anything. It wasn't because of anything like that. Within a year of me meeting my dad, I dropped out of high school. I got into a gang. I was out there living to the point that I was about to, when my dad, he, you know, he came out of prison one time. And when he came out, him and I were actually going to sell drugs together. We will have a family business. Talk about tradition. Talk about tradition. Me not having him in my life was God's grace. Because if I would have had him in my life, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be standing before you today. I guarantee you, as much as I cried when I was a kid because I I wanted a dad on Father's Day, as much as I was emotional and all of those things, it was God's grace by not allowing me to have my dad in my life. If it were my dad today, I'd want the man of God that he is today in my life. And that man, he would have done great things for me. But here is the thing. And when my dad met Jesus, I want to let you know this because I don't want to just give you the ugly part of the story. When my dad met Jesus, he was the first one to write me a letter and tell me, Jason, real men serve God. He was the first one to challenge me to become a Christian. He was the first one to tell me, man, you live in that life out there. That is nothing. You need to come to God. He was the first one to evangelize me. And so he has done his part in trying to redeem the time and bring salvation to his family. And I know that he's one of the ones that has prayed me into and through so much stuff. And so I give great glory and honor to God. But while I was a kid, he wasn't that man. While he tells me about his dad. The same tradition, apart from the drug part and all of that, womanizing, all of that is traditional. And so you know what happens? The, the buck falls with me. I have to make a decision. Am I going to be a womanizer or am I going to be a man of God? What do I want to pass on to my daughter? You know how many people I see? I see, I see this all, all the time. I see a mom got a deadbeat man. Daughter got a deadbeat man. Why, why, why does she pick that? It's generational. It's traditional. It's something that we learn. It's something that is passed down. And so, number one, I challenge you, don't live that way. Don't don't take the negatives that were passed down to you. Don't embrace those as a way of life. But here's the other challenge that becomes so vitally important. It is what are you as a man? What are you as as a mother, as a woman? What are you passing down as tradition to your children? What are you passing down to them? What are they going to be able to say if they're ever given the opportunity to talk about what did I really learn from my parents? And let me tell you, as much as I love my grandfather, there was one saying that he had that was probably the most horrible. And he said this. He said, don't do as I do. Do as I say. He always told me the right thing. I would tell you that about my grandfather. He always, no matter what his condition was, he always told me the right thing. He always told me what to do, how to do it correctly. Always. That doesn't cut it. You know why? Because here's what happened. When I was younger, I was like, man, I'm never going to smoke cigarettes. I'm never going to smoke weed. I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. That only lasted for a little while. Before you knew it, I was doing everything they were doing. Everything that I saw them doing and things I never saw them do. I found out later they had done them, but, you know, I, I, I was doing all of those things. And so what is it that you're passing down to your children? What is it that you are passing down as tradition to them? What are they going to say? I learned from example. I was looking at daddy and he did this. I was looking at mommy and she did this. This was the example that they gave me. I hope you're giving them a godly example, especially if you call yourself a Christian. Amen? We were redeemed, he says, by not by silver and gold, but we were redeemed by the blood of a lamb. And, he, and, and that word, when, when it talks about the, this blood is costly, this blood is high-valued, I want you to write this scripture down, because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God redeemed you and I by his own blood. 
It was the blood of God. See, sometimes we, we get it twisted and we, and we forget that Jesus is not just the son of God. He is the God son. He is the God man. He is fully God. And God shed his own blood. And so the scripture you can write down to confirm that is the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 where it says that God redeemed us with his own blood. That was the cost. That was the price. And so how should we treat the blood of Jesus? Should we treat it as common? Should we treat it as just something normal? Or should we honor it the way that God the Father honors it? God the Father sees the blood of Christ as something that is honorable. And when we trample it, we are in fear and in danger of judgment. And, what, and the way that we trample it is by us dishonoring the commandments of God. By us dishonoring what we know is right. That is what God calls us to repentance for. So that way we do not experience his wrath, but we can experience his goodness. And so we have this precious blood that we've been washed by. The sacrifice of Christ, he says in verse 20, he said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. And so before the foundation of the world, of the, of the foundation of the world, foreordained means to be ordained beforehand. And so there was something that was ordained in the mind and the heart of God. And before God created the earth, before God put Adam and Eve in the garden, before the snake tempted Eve, before any of those things happened, God had forethought, foreknown, he had foreordained that Jesus Christ would come and die in our place. They had the council in heaven. I don't know how it went down, but all I know is this is that God said we're going to create the earth we're going to create man man is going to sin against us and we are going to provide reconciliation I don't know about you but that excites me because that shows me the love of God that God knew that we would sin against him and yet he still provides us with this redemption he gives us the opportunity to be reconciled to him before we even wanted it listen most of us were living our life that if we know Jesus today we were living our life we didn't care someone was preaching it didn't matter to us we didn't want to hear anything about God and God provides our reconciliation and he is hoping that you will turn to him he is showing his love while we were his enemies I was sharing this with my sister we were hating him in our hearts and in our actions and he loved us what do you mean that we hated him I was telling my sister I said man I said do you realize that every time that you disobey God you are literally saying I hate you do you realize that every time that you do something that is contrary to the word of God, you are saying, I hate you. I don't love you. You are saying that. So don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. Don't say, oh, I love God, but I disobey him. It's impossible. It is not possible. Jesus makes it clear. You say you love me, obey me. Obey me. While we hate him, he loves us first. And then he does something great. He manifests himself. He comes into human history at this time for who? For us. For us. For our encouragement. For our faith. The last verse that we'll read and then we'll close. Verse 21. He says, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I'll read it again. Who through him believe who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ Jesus was glorified for our faith and our hope to be in him. 
Not to be in her, not to be in them, not to be in the church, but for our faith and our hope to be in Jesus. God raised him from the dead, glorified him, made sure that the world had eyewitnesses that were present to confirm this so that way even 2,000 plus years later, we could still revel in the resurrection. He does this so that way our faith and our hope rest in him. So my question is this, where does your faith lie? Where does your hope lie? Is it laying in someone dead? Is it laying in someone who is not there? Is it laying in a situation that may never come to be? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? If it's not in Jesus, it's dead or it's dying. Do you hear that? If your faith, if your hope are not in Jesus, it's either dead or it's dying. Where is your faith? He died so you could have a real hope. So you could have a hope that can get you through whatever. A hope that will keep you looking forward. And as Christians in our day and age, listen, y'all want to hear about how to get rich quick. Y'all want to hear about what we need to do right now to be blessed. What we need to experience this and that and the next thing. But I want you to know something. Real Christianity is about looking forward to what Jesus is doing, is, has done for us and where he is taking us. Real Christianity is about living not for this life, but living for the life to come. Real Christianity is about experiencing his grace on the way and not getting stuck in areas of our life. Not getting stuck on problems not getting stuck in circumstances continually looking forward and if you don't have that in your heart where you can not abandon or neglect reality but look beyond reality today he wants to offer you that hope today he does so I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet please and bow your heads I'm going to encourage you to respond to God today respond to him if you're a Christian in this place and this, and this was encouragement for you, then praise the living God that you were encouraged. If you are not a Christian in this place and you need that hope, today's that day that he gives you that hope. But that hope, you're going to have to lay down your life to experience that hope. You're going to have to turn away from your sin and yourself. You may have to turn away from friends and relationships to experience that hope. And so as we pray, you talk to him, respond to him, Father, I humble myself before you today. And God, I pray for each person that is in this place, God. Father, we have all heard your word and we hear you calling us to hope in you. To rest our hope in you, God. And Father, sometimes our minds run wild. Father, sometimes we are not sober in our decision making. Sometimes we are not honorable, Lord God and our way of living and our way of being, Lord God, unto you. And Father, we live a life that says we hope in other things, Lord. Father, today I pray that my brothers and my sisters would gain a real hope. I pray that my brothers and sisters would gain a full hope in you, Father God, that they would gain a real experience of hope, Lord, that they have never known before, God. Father, a hope that is beyond the here and the now. A hope that is beyond situations and circumstances. A hope that is based on us being born again to a living hope. Father, today I pray that you be glorified in our lives. And may you enthrone yourself.
give you all praise and I give you all glory in Jesus name someone said come on and give God a hand of praise I have two announcements to make, and as you get your tithes and your offering ready, I will make them. Um, the first announcement is right after service, immediately following service. If you are a vision carrier of Faith Doma Fellowship or a member of Faith Doma Fellowship, we have a meeting that we're going to have. It's a business meeting. We want to go over some things um, with you as a church. And so if you are a vision carrier, if you're a member of this church, and so that would mean one of two things. It will mean, one, that you have gone through the vision carrier, you know, orientation and that you know for sure I've been through that. I'm a vision carrier. This is my church. It will be that. Or it will be that you've been here for a long period of time, you know, for a few months or whatever the case may be and you are sure this is your church this is where you're going to be you call this place home you're a financial contributor to this church that makes you a member of this church and so if that's you if any of those um if any of those define you then i want to encourage you to stay after what we're going to do is we'll have about a five minute break because i got to set up the powerpoint and we got to get the table in here so that we can kind of set everything up um but what we want to do is have that meeting. It'll probably be maybe 30 minutes. So we're not going to have childcare during that meeting. So you're going to have to, you know, keep your children under control. Praise the Lord Jesus. Um, and I know everybody is hungry. And so, you know, the quicker you can love and hug on each other outside and get back in here, the quicker that our meeting will be done. The second announcement that I have is um, not this Wednesday coming up, but the following Wednesday, we're going to be participating. I, I, I mentioned this on Wednesday night. We're going to be participating on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday on the National National Awakening. It's, it's a National Awakening Summit. And basically what it is, I think they're in Chicago. We're going to be one of the host sites for um, the live feed that's going to be taking place during those, those four days. And what will happen is on Wednesday night, on that Wednesday, everybody is invited to come. And it's a time where we're, they're, they're going to be worshiping and, and everything, preaching and teaching. And it's really just to stir your heart toward prayer. That's the goal. I mean, they really want to see revival in a real way within the church. And so what they're doing is they do these summits once a year. They did one, you know, like in Florida last year. And so they had, you know, in different places. This one's in Chicago. So they've allowed us to be a host site. I want to encourage everyone to come on Wednesday night. You don't have to pay anything to come on Wednesday night. But if you're going to come on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, then you have to pay a registration fee. And you can go online and do that. Um, I'll send out an email with the link to all of that. So that way you can go ahead and you can register. Or you can wait until Wednesday night to, to register or Thursday during the day. 